for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. How much more must he seek the law? And Jesus was being clever. He was saying to the, to the sinners and the tax collectors, you're, you're like the sheep, you know you're lost. But he was saying to the Pharisees, you're like this coin. You don't know you're lost, but you are. And so it's an amazing story. We have to understand that there are two sons in this story. Okay? The younger son would have related to the sinners, the people who were not religious, who didn't keep the law. And the older son would have related to um, the, the, the Pharisees and the, and the, ta- and the um, religious teachers. Because they thought they were good enough. But as we will see, um, they were missing something. And, and what's great about the parable, it, it really, this morning, it, it will give us an opportunity to, to, to take a look at our own spiritual temperature, as it were. How do we relate to God's love and to his grace? Do we use it for our own ends? Um, or do we not use it at all and try and work for his love? Um, because we can both, I think, relate to, um, to both brothers. And so we have one son who was worldly focused, and we have one son who is work-focused. We have one son who demands God's grace for license, and the other one who tries to earn it through legalism. So Rachel is going to read the, um, the parable and, and kick us off. So just bear with me, because it's a longer parable than last week's one. <laughs> um, and I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, which hopefully should appear on the screen. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's normally called the prodigal son, but in this translation, it's called the loving father, which is sort of what we're going to focus on a bit today. So um, I'll just far away. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons, the younger son came to his father and said, father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and travelled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realised what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here, dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong, I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young son set off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, 
Bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I'll place it on his shoulders. Bring the real ring, the seal of sonship, and I'll put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, father, listen. How many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, my son... You are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. So let's just break it down a bit. So the story begins with a young man who wants to break away from the nest, be his own man, be his own boss, do what he wants, go where he wants, and probably thought, well, I'm only young once. And as he approaches his father, he basically says this. I wish you were dead. The best case scenario for my life would be that you were dead. And it's a bit awkward, Dad, that you're still alive because you have a lot of wealth. And I know that a third of that inheritance will go to me. The oldest son would normally have two-thirds of the inheritance. And I'd really like that money. And since you're alive, I can't have it. So I regret the fact that you're alive. I wish you were dead. I love your wealth more than I love you. In fact, I'd like to take all of my inheritance and leave. So looking at this younger son's attitude, it was, would have been very rude. Even nowadays, probably would be classed as quite rude. Um, but back in that culture, definitely would have been rude. And uh, normally you'd wait for the inheritance until um, the father had passed away. But he, he, he demanded um, it. He wasn't thinking of the father. He was thinking of himself. He had selfish motives. And uh, sometimes, you know, we can be the same towards God. We can want something from him for our own ends, as Simon's already mentioned. Um, but it's amazing to see the, how the father responds in this situation. He doesn't question him. He doesn't reject what the son says. Actually, he, he just divides it all up straight away. Um, and um, he would have known knowing his son, as all parents know what their children are like, <laughs> he would have known his nature, probably what he was likely to do with that inheritance. And yet, he still gave it to him. And there's something in the father's heart that just loves to give to us. He loves to lavish his grace. He gave his best to us in giving us his son. Um, and that would have been his most precious um, thing. And he gave that for us. And, uh, yeah, that's something that we can grasp today, that, that God just loves to give to us. And uh, we should have that boldness to just come and before him and ask for those things. 
and we carry on. So the younger son is actually initiating the breakdown of the solidarity of the family. The estate would have been what supported the family, um, and that was now being divided. Um, selling the estate for the father would have been um, you know, more difficult, and um, to sell it quickly, he would have got less money, so it would have been a financial loss as well as the emotional loss of losing his son. Because the son makes it clear that he wants the father to know that he's not coming back. He packs all, up all his belongings, it says. So he's making a statement to his father that, I'm off, I'm taking my, the money and I'm leaving. So he, he wasn't planning at this point to return to the father at all. Um, so as I've already said, you know, the younger son, he took hold of that inheritance, but as we know, he wasted it. And um, his motives were, were selfish. He wasn't thinking of the father and he, he just wanted to do what he wanted to do. Um, and then two disasters struck him simultaneously. He ran out of money, which was his own fault. <laughs> and um, secondly, he ran into famine, which obviously wasn't his fault. But interesting that the famine happened to be in the land that he, he ended up in. And um, obviously, he ended up in a desperate situation. Um, and he ends up with the pigs as we all know, and um, he, for a Jew, that would have been very um, at the lowest point because um, pigs were seen as unclean. So for him to be working with the pigs, he was really in a bad place. <laughs> um, and so he decides to go home and comes up with what could have been a common response of the day. Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But then we see something in um, verse 20 um, of uh, the, the parable um, where the father embraces the son. And I, be, I believe, I think we both believe that in that moment there was an embrace and that there was a change in that younger son's heart then. And he carries on, Father, I, ha- I, I have sinned. And I no longer am worthy to be called your son. And then it's interesting, we look at the father as he's saying saying this. As soon as he suggests, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, the father interrupts him. It's like he doesn't want to hear that because to him, he's still his son. And um, he might have done things that he... Um, wouldn't necessarily agree with, but he, he, he's still his son. And so we look and... Um, between verse 22 and 24, we see the different things that the father does. So he says, servants, please fetch me the father, my robe. Um, it says in this translation, the father's robe. And he, he actually, the father said, fetch me. So he wanted to put it on his son. He wasn't asking the servants to do it. He wanted to do it. And um, so the father's robe could have represented acceptance back into the father's family, a covering of his shame and all the past that he's, um, uh, yeah, been doing. Um, sorry, can you <laughs> And then secondly, we've got the, uh, the ring. Um, in the Passion Translation, it says about um, the seal of sonship, um, which again is interesting. And um, again, the father represents... Um, could represent the father's authority, reinstating his position as a son back into the family, and also making a statement of that that will include the entitlement to the inheritance again. So um, I've got another scripture here, just Ephesians 1, 
13 to 14. So just bear with me a second. So this is what, um, what has happened to us, that when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we also have claim of the inheritance that God has for us. And, uh, and finally, we've got the shoes. So how he appeared would have been he looked like a slave coming back to his father. He wouldn't have had anything on his feet. And only slaves were barefooted. So him again putting the, the shoes on the son would have represented you are my son and restoring him back into that position. So, so yeah, so maybe this morning you feel like a bit like the younger son and um, you've wasted what God's given you. Maybe you, you knew him at one time and you know you're far away from him now. But, but from what we, what we see in the story that that when we turn to him, his, his forgiveness is total and it's immediate. And, you know, in that time, the rabbis would have taught that if you, if you violated the community standards, forgiveness or an apology wasn't enough. You had to basically make amends. And so, so this son, what it says um, in the NIV is that, that he was going to be a hired man. Now, that wasn't a servant. There's an important distinction because a servant would have lived in the estate and um, would have had the security of the state. But, 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 but the, uh, the younger son wanted to go and work as a hired man, which essentially would have been a carpenter or a tradesman. And so what he was saying was, I'm going to go back and I am going to um, learn a trade, become an apprentice, I'm going to live in the village, and I'm going to start to pay back my dad. And as soon as he came, what did the father do? He didn't want to know about, really, the apology, the most important thing was that there was restoration. And um, the amazing thing, and this is the scandalous thing, okay, that the father comes, and Rachel said, he puts on him the robes of sonship, and the inheritance is restored back to him. It's restored back. And maybe this morning, you think that you've gone too far away from the father. And uh, it says in, in Romans, a book in the Bible, that, that where, where sin increases... And maybe you think your sin is just too big for God to deal with. It says where sin increases, God's favour increases all the more. And what that means is that the more sin there is in your life, the more entanglement, the more destruction you can see as a result of sin, the more favour there is to pull you out of that sin and to restore you and to bring back your inheritance. And that is just amazing. And, and, and the readers, um, when they would have heard this, it would have been scandalous. It would have been unheard of. Because the father, and, and remember, the culture in those days, the father, he wouldn't have run to the son. He would have expected the son to come to him, to have shown him respect. But that's not what we see in this story. The son can do no more than just come within reach, and the father runs to him. And it's amazing. And so maybe this morning you feel like the son the younger son, would just know that God's favour on you is greater than any sin in your life. And that's a really powerful message. But you know what? The story doesn't end there. And we often call it the parable of the prodigal son. But as we said at the beginning, there are two sons and a loving father. 
So now we move our attention to the older son. And, you know, he represents the diligent, the hardworking Christian. You know, you have to imagine that when the younger son left, he took a third of the estate. The older son had to pick up the pieces. He would have had to have worked extra hard because his younger son wasn't there. And also, there was less estate now to generate an income. And so you can imagine him having to work really hard, you know, understandably, probably, probably being a bit resentful of the younger son. And um, after all those years of, of loyal labour, on any human level, you can probably see why when the, when the younger son returns, he's resentful. But for all his goodness of the older son, for all his righteousness, there was something missing in him. And that was the father's heart. And you know, it's possible to, to leave the father without leaving the farm. And, and maybe for some of us this morning, we know that we, we, have, a, we have a theology of the, of the father, but we don't have an experience of him. And you know, it's so important that we experience the love and the favour of God on our lives. It's not enough just to have a theology. Theology always is supposed to lead us to an encounter and if you haven't encountered God this morning, then, then, then know this. The Father's love and grace is available. Hallelujah. It's available for you. And, um, and, and so this fattened calf, and you have to imagine that the, the older son said, you didn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends, and you've, you've, you've killed this calf. And a fattened calf in those days, I mean, meat was expensive, but a fattened calf would have been like the thing that, that you would eat on the best celebration. And my thinking is that the older son would have been tending this fattened calf. He would have been feeding it, not the father. And he was thinking, do you know what? On the day that our estate is restored back to its former glory, I'm going to kill this calf and we're going to celebrate. And when the older son comes back and he sees the calf has been slaughtered, that he's been feeding, looking after, and to find out that there's a celebration because his younger son has come back. And you can understand can't you? There's something, something in me that can understand that, that, that um, you know, anger and resentment. But, you see, the father hadn't connected, or the older son hadn't connected with the father's heart. And when we try and work hard, and we try and earn God's favour, it can lead to anger, resentment, bitterness, because we can see what we've done, and we can look at other people, and we can say, well, God's using that for them. He hasn't used me for that. That's not fair, because I've been working hard all these years as a good Christian to earn that position or that place. And what the father wanted the older son to know was, okay, son, my grace, my favour on your life has always been here. You've been trying to earn it so hard, you haven't had time to use what I've already given you. And so I think we can really, we can learn from, from that, um, that actually we don't need to earn a position with the Father. We already have a position. We don't work for favour. We work from a position of favour. It's very, very different. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, um, it's your game now, isn't it? Yeah, so it's interesting looking at this older son he actually refuses to go into the celebration. And actually, in that culture, hospitality was a huge deal. 
and uh, the son actually refusing to go into the feast would have been a humiliating rejection to the father and an embarrassment because, I mean, these sort of celebrations, the whole community, the villages, everyone in the village would have been invited and um, everyone would have come and their brother would have normally been expected to co-host this event. So the fact that he um, refused, um, I looked up the word refused as well, it means to decline to submit. So he actually declined to submit to the father and... um, Again, that would have brought dishonour to the family. Um, the, the father's love for both sons, although it appears different, it was the same. And um, the father goes out to plead with the son to join in. And, uh, yeah, he, he just misunderstood the father's love for him. Um, he had a slave mentality and not a son's. Um, and he even ends up rejecting his own brother, saying, this son of yours... There is no sign of forgiveness or love because he, he hasn't received that love. Um, he hasn't experienced that love that Simon's been talking about um, from the father. And so he, he then doesn't give out any love or forgiveness. Um, and You know, we can be, be like that sometimes. Um, we can, God wants us to come to him as father and ask of him. And, um, just looking in John 14, verse 13 to 14. It says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for me me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And that's what God wants us to, to remember as we come to him as Father. He wants to do it. He loves to give, as we've already seen earlier, to us. Um, and he wants us to have that same boldness as we were asking our parents for something. Um, he wants us to come in that same way. And this brother, he was convinced of his own goodness. He had grown bitter and allowed resentment to build up, which can come through what Simon's already shared about, um, of just um, w- serving. And um, if the heart's not right, then bitterness can uh, just um, build up. And um, th- there's the scripture, I think, by, where, where Paul says, you know, do not get weary in doing good. And... Uh, yeah, God doesn't want us to get weary, but it's, again, using his grace in the right way. Um, so he was, the son was full of good works, but little faith or experience in the father's love. And so the challenge today is, you know, do we have a son or slave mentality? Do we see ourselves as a son with a loving father who wants the best for us? And in turn, because we have a relationship with him, we want to please him out of love. Or do we have a slave mentality, only serving the father out of duty and religious activity and not out of relationship? So I want you to imagine what would happen if the, if the younger brother had encountered the older brother first. And this is the kind of thing that I, I thought about. So the, the older brother says this to the younger brother. So you've come back. Things didn't work out, did they? Why, you've reaped what you've sown. Have you repented? It's going to take a lot to earn the Father's forgiveness and don't expect any inheritance now you've wasted it all. I had to clear up your mess, work night and day and just as things are getting back to normality, you show up. I think it's best for everyone if you quietly just go away, get yourself cleaned up and come back when you have a job and can pay our Father back. And, uh, you know, thank, thank God that that didn't happen and that doesn't happen, does it, when we come to the Father. And I think we can have a tendency, um, you know, if we're honest, to be like both brothers. We can see ourselves as the younger son and we can rejoice 
in the welcoming love of God. But also, I think it's good for us to reflect in the older brother that, you know, it's a, it's a common human failing to think that we're not appreciated, that people don't give us the credit, and, and we can be judgmental sometimes when, when people don't live up to our expectations and people fail. Um, the challenge is, you know, what kind of church do we want? Do we want a respectable church? Do we want an estate like the older brother, which was consistent? It, it, lots of money was coming in. Um, or are we willing to have a messy church? A church where things happen and you go, oh, that wasn't on the, down on, on the plan. Um, and, you know, Jesus, what he wants for us is, is to be a place where we can be a, a, a people of forgiveness and of restoration and of hope and of love, and of mercy, and no matter what anyone's done, okay, because it's going to happen, we'll get people who, who, they've done stuff to us, they've hurt us, and they come back, well, how will we respond to that? Will we be like the Father? Or will there be qualifications, well, I'm only going to get to know you again, or trust you again, if? You know, Jesus, his teaching consistently attracted the irreligious, the immoral, while offending the Bible-believing people, all the Christians, you know, today. And, and do we tend to draw the conservative moral people or do we attract those people who uh, are sort of licentious, uh, liberated, or the broken and, and the people that, that really no one wants to know about? And it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to us. And um, uh, I think it's your turn now, Rach, isn't it? So we're just going to have a look at the Father's love through the parable. So how does he show his love? So firstly, the father let the younger son go. This would have been a selfless act on the father's part because he would have wanted the son to stay home with him. And um, as we can see later on, he's desperate for the return of his son. So the fact that he just let his son go... um, that is the first step of him showing his love. And then the father didn't appear to be offended by either son. Both did very offensive behaviour. And um, most people might have been offended um, by these things. If your child did it, you might be a bit offended. I don't know. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, the father shows his love and he doesn't get offended once through however they have behaved and it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, tells us that love does not take offence and it's not resentful. And that is just God's love, isn't it? He doesn't take offence by what we do. He'd, his heart is just for us to be restored to him. The father didn't judge his sons at any point, although I'm sure many people did. If they'd seen um, or heard about, I'm sure if it was a close-knit community, they would have heard, oh, he's gone away and you know he's taken all the money and... He's living a um, godless life, you know, um, th- these things. And, um, and yet the father did not show any judgment at all. Um, in fact, the opposite. Um, and it's a challenge for us as well if people behave in a way that we don't think is morally right, you know, that we, we love them with the father's love um, and don't judge them. And um, so although repentance is necessary for us to come back to the father, um, and be in right relationship with the Father. That is not, from this parable, that is not God's heart that 
most important thing. Um, but for him, the father is most interested in restoration with his children. And um, that's the same with God. He, he wants us to come back to him and to, to be restored, to have that communion and uh, relationship with him. And um, repentance is just a vehicle that allows for that restoration to take place. Um, so we need to know and experience the Father's love for ourselves so that we can love others with that same capacity that Christ first loved us. Okay, good. All right, so just want to finish, um, just for an illustration, which I hope is going to work, because um, it's, it's in my head, but I don't think I might be able to explain it very well. But by God's grace, hopefully I will. Now, um, I've got a rucksack here, okay, and it's, it's full of... Um, Water bombs. Don't tell the kids, okay? Don't worry, I'm not going to chuck them at you. And, um, you know, what we see from this parable is, is that um, God's, so God's favour on our lives, okay? It says, um, in, in, I think, 2 Timothy, that, that we're called to live a holy life, okay, by his purpose and by his undeserved favour. And, and that favour was given to us uh, before the beginning of time. Okay, so let's just get it. Before we've done anything, before time even began, uh, God's grace for us uh, was on our lives, which is a, a quite a profound thing. But, but so God's undeserved favour. So the, the word grace is where we get the word charity from. Okay, it means favour, it means joy, delight, undeserved kindness, um, undeserved gifts. And so we have that on our lives. And um, I'm just going to pick this up. Okay, so we have to know that God's favour is always on us, even if we don't necessarily feel it, okay? And think of the rucksack as our faith. So uh, it says in Romans um, that we access God's um, grace um, by trusting in him, okay? Now, who knows? In, In my pocket, I've got here, I've got a cheque. Now, it's, nothing's on it, but I'm not going to write out a million pounds and give it to you, unfortunately, for you, okay? Because I haven't got a million pounds in my bank account. But I could write out ten pounds and give it to you because I know I have ten pounds in my bank account, okay? And what God wants us to know is that we have the unlimited favour on us. And you see, if we don't, if we don't believe that his favour is on us, we're not going to use it, okay? Now... Um, God's grace doesn't just end with us, does it? His favour in our lives. See, if, 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 if grace comes to us, if, if God's favour comes to us and it ends with us, it, it didn't reach its purpose because it's to end with others, okay? And what God wants us to do is to know who we are in Christ, okay? And obviously, the past series, we, we've, hopefully we've got, we've got an understanding, a revelation that we are seated with Christ, in the heavenly places, and we have that rest of faith. We don't need to work for God's favour anymore, do we? Okay? But that doesn't mean we can sit on our backsides and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, your favour's on me. Thank you for giving me a job. Thank you for giving me a car. Thank you for my family. Um, because on the, sh- on the shoulders of that, um, of that, let's say, that faith, we have an active faith okay, that causes us to go and take the favour that is on our lives and to go and get those water bombs, okay, out of our bag and to chuck them on people, basically, 
Okay? Um, Because the younger son, what did he do? He said, he knew who he was. He knew he was a son. And he said, God, give me what he demanded. He He had an entitlement problem. And so what did he do? He used it for himself and ended with himself and no one was blessed. The older son, well, what did he try and do? He tried to make his own water bottles and he tried to put it into a bag that was already full. What's the point? Because you can't get anything into a full bag. And so, and so he abused God's grace in the same way. What God wants us to do is to, by trusting in him, take out our gifts. Okay? And we all have gifts. Okay? Imagine that most of us will probably be employed, okay, that our boss always had undeserved favour on us. No matter what we did, no matter if we made a mistake. Do you think we would act differently? I think we would. I think we would start to think differently. I think we would start to take more risks. I think we would, we would start to see possibilities that weren't there before because we know no matter what we do, our boss is al- we're always going to have his favour. Uh, because the thing is, fear will, will, will stop us from um, releasing the calling that, that, that God has on our lives. And, you know, for many years I had a fear of failure. And so I made up for that, really, with trying to be a perfectionist. Get everything into our little box. And, okay. um, but what God wants us to do is to step out in faith. And, and we've heard it before, you know, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk, isn't it? Okay, we need to take risks. And... And if we take a risk and it doesn't work out the way we think, is that a failure? No. Because we've stepped out trusting in God. And so what I want us all to do is, is, to, is to look at, at the gifts we have. You know, um, the, the word in the Bible is called charisma. That's where we get the word charismatic from, right? So we all have our own charismas, and they'll be different, you know? They'll be different colours, they'll be different shapes, they'll be different sizes. And, and God doesn't want us to compare ourselves to other people. That's the problem with the older son. He was so insecure of building up his, his own favour that the, when the younger son came back, he was insecure. And so we have, it says in Romans, we, we, we all have our own different um, charismas according to God's favour on our lives. And um, he wants us to use that favour to go and chuck to the world, the broken world, so they then can enter into their destiny. Okay, because it doesn't end with us. It only begins with us. And we'll get blessed. Yeah, we'll get blessed. You know, and if I was to drop this bottle, uh, this, this water bomb, I would get, you know, it would go on me too. Okay, so we'll have the blessing. But it's, it's, it's for the world, isn't it? It's, it's for the world. So, and really, you know, the, the father... What he wanted in his sons was he knew, he wanted them to know his love and grace so, so they then could go and replicate a family with that same love and grace. And um, there's another uh, story in the Bible um, with the father and the sons and it's, it's, and it's the one of Joseph, isn't it? And you know, Joseph was ridiculed for being a dreamer. And one of the things that's on my heart is that as a body, we, we start dreaming. And, and the challenge, I've been challenged recently because some of you guys in the church, you know, you've been starting things, you've, you know, you've, been, you've been doing things, and, uh, and we're, seeing, we're seeing fruit from it. People are starting to, to really connect with God, and, and that's because someone said, I've got a dream, and I'm going to take a risk, I'm going to use what I've got, okay, I'm going to use my charisma, and I'm going to just 
go and see what happens with it. And I believe that all of us have dreams. And can you imagine what would happen if all of us, with all our dreams, took a risk uh, of faith and, and saw that dream, by the grace of God, come to pass? How would Ashford change? It would be phenomenal. And there are some of you that, that, that have taken risks. And I, I, I wanna, in, a, in a minute, I don't know if we maybe haven't got any time, but I want to pr- quickly pray for a few people. Um, what's the time? Four, five, two. Okay, um, I want to quickly pray because the younger son was a daydreamer. Okay, he fantasized and he wasted his inheritance. The older son didn't dream, or if he did dream, he didn't take that step of faith because he didn't know that God's grace was on him. And so, um, I just want us to pray for, for for a few people. I believe that there are people here who have um, they've recently stepped out and they've taken a risk. Okay. That might be a new job, um, a new business, coming to Ashford. Something has happened. And when me and Rachel, when we stepped out and we, and we took over a business, the grace of God was upon us, but we experienced quite large opposition. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. He's okay if we waste it on ourselves or if we don't dream. But when we start dreaming and start using it... Um, he doesn't like it. And so maybe you're experiencing opposition. And do you know what? That is okay. Because the grace on us is greater than what the enemy can do. Um, so I'd like to pray for you. And maybe there are some of you here who um, you, you have a dream, but you haven't stepped out. And I've, I feel like this morning, God wants to conceive something in us and wants to birth something. And, you know, last week, um, when David came up and, and, he, and he gave a testimony about how Abby is pregnant, which is amazing, I felt that was, that was prophetic for us as a body. Because God is saying, I'm going to birth in you, I'm going to conceive in you the impossible. Are you going to trust me for the impossible? Because there is something in our nature that is not expressed unless we have the, that impossible thing. And maybe you haven't got an impossible thing. Okay, maybe we've just been living comfortably as a Christian, coming to church on a Sunday, okay, and there's no impossible in our life, but God wants to give us today that impossible. He wants to conceive it. Um, and, and, and then maybe you're like that son who's wasted his inheritance. And I, I would love to pray for you uh, this morning that, that you would come back to the Father and know his, his, his embrace and his kisses over your life. So maybe if the worship team, I don't know, maybe it comes up uh, uh, quickly. I don't know. If people maybe saw stand up. Um, 